Terry Jr. the second here, reporting for the Detroit Free Press. And so what was the scene earlier? I know it started earlier at 10 and it's the afternoon now. It's not as active, but um, what, what was it like? So there were a lot of people who came to provide in-person public comment to the commission. That's reporter Clara Hendrickson live at the scene of a Michigan redistricting commission meeting Thursday. We're at Cadillac Place in New Center, Detroit. It's where a citizen-led group is trying to determine our electoral districts. The meetings are completely open to the public and streamed online for anyone to watch. And they've got an opportunity for public comment. Uh, over 80 folks had signed up to provide in-person in public comment. Today I want to thank you for all the hard work you have done, but I also want to ask you to review the state maps, to have more partisan fairness, and to have VRA districts represented. But I guess I shouldn't say these are completely open. Because back in October, the commission closed its doors to discuss two memos they say are about the Voting Rights Act and the history of discrimination. That issue of voting rights um, has emerged as a kind of key flashpoint and could be a likely contender for a legal challenge against the commission. Now, that closed door meeting and those memos are causing concern among citizens. Transparency is is letting people know, I mean, just just what's what's going on right now about the memo. To be honest, I just feel the whole way that y'all doing this whole process is not fair or right. And y'all are not as transparent as I would expect y'all to be. And they're the subject of a Detroit Free Press lawsuit against the commission. I'm Carrie Jr. the second, and this is on the line. All right, I am all set over here. Yes, so yeah, go right ahead. Your your name, age, where you're from, and uh, your uh, official title. Okay, uh, my name is Arthur Woodson uh, from Flint, Michigan, um, age 54. Um, I'm a, a veteran advocate, uh, activist here in the city of Flint. Been fighting for a long time now. You know, Flint used to be beautiful. I mean, you know, uh, to me, I hear and I, you know, I saw that Flint seemed like, you know, we had the highest, uh, you know, uh, middle income community in the nation. We, we, we got lost. You know, we got lost in the money. We got lost in thinking that GM was going to take care of us for the rest of our lives. And once they left, it was a vacuum of illiteracy. Uh, political and, you know, personal literacy. As I'm sure you can tell, Arthur Woodson is a fierce voice in and for Flint. The good things that are going on in Flint, it's not for us. It's not for the poor people. It's hard to speak out against all the good things when we still have these bad things going on. So that's what's going on in Flint. You know, uh, we had the water crisis. We have crime. We have a whole host of things. Recently, however, he's honed in on a particular group of citizens, not politicians, that he says could do great harm to his community. The Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. When I first heard about him is when, you know, we voted to uh, uh, do away with gerrymandering. 
Gerrymandering, as in manipulating electoral districts to benefit one political party. I thought it would be a good thing. I, I mean, you know, the individuals, the citizens being over this would be a good thing. We've talked about the commission in a prior episode, but just to remind you, here's Detroit Free Press reporter and Report for America Corps member Clara Hendrickson again, talking about the work that's underway right now. This is the first time that Michigan is using a, a citizen-led independent commission to redraw new congressional and legislative districts. And we have this new commission because in 2018, Michigan voters adopted a constitutional amendment that removed redistricting responsibilities from the legislature and placed it in the hands of the this group of randomly selected voters who are responsible for drawing new voting districts in the state. The goal was to end gerrymandering in the state, which has been considered to have some of the most gerrymandered districts. What's going on right now? So the commission spent marathon meetings drawing new congressional and legislative district lines. They went on a statewide public hearing tour to solicit feedback on those lines and then made adjustments to the maps. And the group is planning the last week in December to convene and vote on final U.S. House, Michigan Senate and Michigan House districts. It's been a contentious process already with a lot of voices trying to be heard including Woodson. He first started attending meetings and speaking out after a delay in the census led to a delay in the start of the process. Uh, I started looking at, all right, now we get ready to start having some, some, some issues here. But Woodson is particularly alarmed right now. And it's in part for the same reason the Detroit Free Press itself is in the headlines with the commission. We're going to get to that in a minute, but... I think it's important to remember what led up to that moment. The commission had just completed a statewide public hearing tour to solicit input on draft maps that it had drawn. And during that tour, it heard from voters, from current and former Detroit lawmakers, civil rights leaders, including the head of the state civil rights department, that its maps violated the Voting Rights Act, which is a federal law that prohibits racially discriminatory voting districts. So Detroit uh, and Flint are two majority black cities in Michigan. And so the concerns around minority representation are particularly um, sort of germane and, and poignant in, in those two cities. The commission has heard from folks who argue that proposed congressional and state Senate maps that would eliminate majority minority districts currently in place and state house maps that would reduce the number of those districts would essentially deprive black voters of an opportunity to elect their preferred candidates. What the commission has drawn would pair Detroit neighborhoods with communities in Macomb and Oakland counties. And that pairing means that there are fewer black voters in the districts that the commission has drawn compared to what has previously been in place for the, the past decade. And there are concerns that the result is that black Detroiters are going to be represented by state lawmakers from suburban communities who are not going to effectively represent the concerns of Detroit voters in Lansing. In, in, in all the African-American communities, they taking away, they making sure that they take, a, take away our representation to save theirs. If you look at it, I guarantee you their seats are saved. All the white representatives, their seats are saved. But when it comes to the black community, if you look at the maps, 
their representatives are either, you know, taken or shrunk down. Democratic Commissioner Juanita Curry had this to say. You know, you can't get a perfect picture unless you throw somebody else off. And that's the thing they don't understand. We want to make everybody happy. But if you make everybody happy, then it's impossible. And so the commission on October 27 was meeting for the first time after that public hearing tour to to start discussing and deliberating the input it received. And it voted to meet behind closed doors with its attorneys. And that was concerning to numerous parties. Attorney General Dana Nessel came out and said the closed-door meeting likely violated the state constitution, which requires that the group conduct its business in open meetings. She said certain issues like litigation could likely take place behind closed doors, but this meeting and the memos discussed could not. The commission has said that the memos relate to the Voting Rights Act, and then another memo that it discussed according to its title, lays out the history of discrimination in Michigan and its impact on voting. So that's that's what the commission has said. Uh, but part of the challenge is that there's no way to vet the contents of the memo because they're currently kept secret. And there's no way to know what the commission actually talked about behind closed doors. You know, for all we know, they could have been talking about the lions for an hour. I don't think that's what they were talking about. But again, there's no way to sort of corroborate uh, that discussion and the nature of the advice that the commission said that it, it received behind closed doors. Hendrickson filed a Freedom of Information Act request to try to get the memos. It was denied with the commission citing attorney-client privilege. We asked to speak to the commission's lawyers, but a spokesman declined our request while litigation is pending. At the meeting earlier this month, however, the commission's lawyers were adamant that the memos could not be released. They know exactly what your play is and they know exactly why. You absolutely all anticipate that someone will bring litigation. If you open the floodgates and expose all of these communications, uh, you will be really crippling your attorneys in the ability to defend these cases. I understand that the attorney general's opinion is not based on a specific review of the memos because the attorney general did not have the memos at hand. Something I do not see in that amendment is any reference to a required waiver of attorney-client privilege. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson also called for the memos to be released, and so did the group Voters Not Politicians, and they drafted the language that created the commission. And then there was Woodson, who spoke at public comment at the same commission meeting where the lawyers raised alarms. I want to see what's in that memo that you all are trying to hide, because I'm hearing that it's to do away with minority majority. Can we find out what you all talked about behind the scenes. That day, the commission officially voted not to release the memos. The decision for the commission not to release the memos, did they all decide on that? How how did that take place? It's a a large body. They were all on the same page? No, they, they weren't all on the same page. It was actually a pretty narrow vote by the commission on whether or not to disclose the memos. Ultimately, the commission voted 7-5, not to release the memos. All four Democratic members of the commission voted against disclosing the memos, and then Republicans and independents were were split on that decision. That vote deeply troubles Arthur, who particularly distrusts Democrats, even though he identifies and has run as one. Why would you want to go behind closed doors and, and keep it secret 
speaking about the African-American minority majority representation. And that brings us to the Detroit Free Press showing up in the headlines. Yeah, so last week, three media outlets, the Detroit Free Press, the Detroit News, and Bridge Michigan, along with the state's press association, sued the redistricting commission and asked the Michigan Supreme Court to order the redistricting commission to release memos and records that it has withheld from the public that it weighed during its redistricting process. After the break, we discussed the lawsuit and the price paid when information is withheld from the public. All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars and I'll go and then we'll go back. You want you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. OK, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. We're back talking with reporter Claire Hendrickson about the lawsuit the Free Press and three other organizations filed last week against the redistricting commission. To recap, the Free Press requested the release of memos related to a closed-door meeting that was held in October. The commission declined to release them. The commission has said the memos pertain to the Voting Rights Act and the history of discrimination in Michigan and its impact on voting. And Hendrickson says they've noted this about their choice to keep those memos private. So... The commission has received a lot of information about how to comply with the Voting Rights Act from its attorney in open meetings. They've heard presentations about the Voting Rights Act. Their voting rights attorney would say, let's revisit this district. I'm not sure that it's compliant. And the commission has argued that the discussion that took place behind closed doors laid out legal risks related to the possibility of future lawsuits. That's sort of been their defense about why they had to go and have this meeting behind closed doors and couldn't provide the legal advice out in the open as they had done previously. Closure inspires more more questions. Why are you meeting in secret? Why can't the public know uh, what, uh, what the opinions of the lawyers are? And to the to the extent that uh, the commissioners are guided by the lawyers, the public needs to know that. That's Herschel Fink. He's the Detroit Free Press's in-house legal counsel. The government has a lot of information that the public needs to know. So a lot of what I do is fighting for transparency in government, finding government secrets, so to speak, uh, trying to... Uh, release information that the public needs in a democracy. He has worked with us for over 35 years and has been instrumental in some major lawsuits in the paper's most recent history. Think Kwame Kilpatrick. 
And 20 years ago, Herschel, along with Free Press reporters, helped set a precedent for deportation proceedings in the U.S. Right after 9-11, the government began uh, conducting secret deportations of persons who uh, the government deemed to be security risks. Uh, the Free Press challenged the, the secrecy of the uh, immigration courts, and the Sixth Circuit uh, ordered the um, uh, secret deportation proceedings to cease and that they take place in public. So on the topic of these memos, what prompted the Free Press to request that information through the Freedom of Information Act? All of these discussions under the Constitution are to be open and transparent. The lawyers have advised the commission and the commission has taken the position that no, no, we can we can meet confidentially with our lawyers to have a, a free and open discussion um, and the public doesn't need to know what we're doing. Well, that defeats the whole purpose of the Independent Redistricting Commission. So that's, I, I was alerted by our reporter and uh, advised her and, and our editors, uh, including uh, uh, executive editor Peter Batia, that uh, we have a right to be present. So we're going to take a brief detour here. And we're going to talk about the way we even seek this information. So what other kinds of information does the Free Press get through FOIA? Almost anything that you can imagine. I mean, there uh, a frequent one is uh, crime information. Uh, what happened in a certain situation, maybe a shooting, uh, a robbery, uh, could be almost any kind of things relating to crime. And there are exceptions in FOIA for uh, ongoing criminal investigations, but they're limited. Mm -hmm. And can like an everyday citizen make or submit a FOIA request? Is that something they could do if they wanted to? Absolutely, absolutely. The uh, Freedom of Information Act is not limited to news organizations. It's very, it's explicitly open to all citizens. What is the importance of this type of information and other items that we get through FOIA? Well, it's the essence of self-governance. Um, the public needs information. I mean, that's really uh, the whole idea of democracy is having access to information when we're kept in the dark. I mean, the public needs information so that it can make wise decisions on its leaders and um, how, how to hold them accountable. And and so, what are the effects? What are the effects of uh, when we're unable to gain access to information like this? Corruption flourishes. Uh, people who are corrupt and have something to hide will hide it. Uh, it would be naive to think that all public servants, uh, all public officials, are altruistic and doing what they do for the public good. A lot of them, that is true. But there are a lot who it's not true of. That's where the press and uh, independent press comes in and uh, trying to police this and find out what's really going on. And transparency helps prevent corruption. Well, 
I think it's really important to be able to review all of the same information that the commission is weighing. You know, it's my job as a reporter covering the redistricting process to help the public understand what the commission is considering as it is drawing new voting districts. So that's why I wanted access to these memos. I have no idea whether or not anything that's in them actually makes for a compelling story or is particularly controversial. That's not really the point. The point is to be able to review and assess them as a reporter to figure out whether or not they're worthy of the public's attention and understanding uh, as as folks try to weigh in on the voting districts and provide feedback to the commission on, on what it wants to see from their work. Folks like Flint resident Arthur Woodson, who had already felt disillusioned with his own party, in governance overall. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't wait to see it. I mean, you know, if it's nothing, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? It was nothing, but it, they shouldn't have left the curiosity out there. Why would the Republicans want it out there? And why would the Democrats be trying to hide it? Why would you want them to take you to court and fight you and make it bigger than than what it is if it was nothing. Why would I jeopardize an uh, 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 article coming out saying that, you know, we are fighting against making something public that's against the African-American community? I, I had faith in it. I mean, it was citizens. I, I mean, you know, it's the difference between uh, politicians and citizens, you know, I didn't think that they would play politics on a citizen's commission. And, and, and you know, for them to, to, to be playing like that, I am highly upset, you know, that, that they are doing that. I mean, it, this, this right here just, just took it to a whole nother level. You know, I don't trust that commission. I don't trust the governor. I don't trust the secretary of state. They have made it to where I don't trust anybody, especially being from Flint. This week on Wednesday, the news organizations and the commission council made their cases in the lawsuit before the Michigan Supreme Court. The Free Press is seeking not only the memos, but that the court bars the commission from meeting behind closed doors again. They've asked the court to issue a decision Friday, December 17th, but it was not immediately clear if the justices would do so. In the meantime, the Michigan legislature this week sent a bill to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's desk that would prohibit the commission from meeting behind closed doors under the guise of the Open Meetings Act. And the Michigan Department of Civil Rights continued to fight back on the crux of where this all started, saying the commission's current proposed maps would violate federal voting rights. The department said the maps would strip minority voters of a meaningful chance to have candidates who represent their interests. The commission's voting rights attorney hasn't agreed with the department's take on the law and his advice to the commission. He said they don't need to preserve the current number of majority minority districts. Again, the commission will reconvene at the end of December to vote. There's no, it's no room for error. Uh because they 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 have the opportunity to get it right. Uh, but why is this something that we take on? That's our role. I mean, that is the role. It, it's it's called watchdog journalism. And that's what we do. That's what the free press is. 
does uh, and has done for many years. Special thanks to Arthur Woodson for talking to us for this week's episode. Additionally, we also want to say thank you to reporter Clara Hendrickson and legal counsel Herschel Fink. This episode was produced by me, Darcy Moran, and Tad Davis with help from Peter Majerly. Anjanette Delgado and Marion Streaman are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thanks for listening. And if you like the show, leave a rating and subscribe. It really makes a difference. We'll see you next week.